Good morning. So I'm going to tell you a story, and um, raise your hand when you think you know which story I'm talking about. Um, it's, it's a story that keeps getting remade, books and movies over and over again, so hopefully you're a little bit familiar with it. Uh, again, hold up your hand, don't shout it out. Uh, so the story opens on a person who is very successful, doing really well in life, self-sufficient, pretty wealthy, um, and this person is driven and focused. So he is just where he wants to be, and on Christmas Eve, he gets visited by some angels, uh, ghosts, I'm sorry, ghosts, Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. Who would like to share? Cheryl. Scrooge, so the Christmas Carol, that's right, the Christmas Carol. Um, so these ghosts show Mr. Scrooge what his selfish life has cost him and what his future will look like. So spoiler alert, it's not good. Um, and as a kid, I had trouble finishing this story because that last ghost that uh, comes and shows him the future, uh, basically a depiction of hell, uh, for me, that was super scary. Um, Scrooge ends up seeing the error of his ways, and he uh, apologizes to the people that he's hurt and tries to make things right, and um, he ends up having a pretty nice future. So, um, there we go. Uh, again, like I, I think it's interesting when our regular world takes a concept that God created long, a long time ago and really grabs hold of it. And as a kid, I, I wasn't exposed to any kind of religion. And, but there was something about it that I just knew, like, that was true. And I also did not want to have a future like Scrooge. Um, so I, it made me want to be a better person as well. Anybody else relate to that idea? Yeah. Um, so, like Andy said, I'm Aaron Bright, and uh, he kind of explained I serve a few different places here. Um, today, we will be looking at the seven trumpets of Revelation, and that's um, in starting in Revelation 8. That's on page 2012 in your Disciples Bible. Um, if you don't have one of those, feel free. They're right in the back, and we would love you to have one. If you're new today or online, uh, welcome. And really, feel free to get up and grab one. If you're online, you can go to baccbible.com, fill out the information, and we'd be happy to get a Bible in your hands. So, I'm not as smooth as Andy, but I'm learning. Um, so, again, I get to continue the series today, All Things New. And uh, I'm going to specifically talk to those seven trumpets of Revelation. So if you're like me, maybe you, didn't, you don't really know that much about the book of Revelation. Um, a friend in my discipleship group said earlier this year, I really hope that we do study Revelation this year. And she said, you know, usually if we're going through a Bible study in a year, by the time we get to December, it's, it's where Revelation would come up, but we're always focused on the Advent. She wasn't saying that there's anything wrong with focusing on the Advent. Of course, we want to celebrate that. But I think what she was longing for is a better understanding of what this book is all about. 
Um, I was talking with my husband, John, about this, and he gave me this analogy, which I think is pretty cool. He said, you wouldn't watch a movie over and over again, maybe even year after year, the same movie, but you never actually watch the end of it. And that's kind of what we're doing if we read the Bible, but we never actually get into the book of Revelation. Um, Other thoughts that might be circulating in this room about Revelation is, this is confusing. I have no idea what they're talking about here. Um, It also, you might think, oh, this is pretty scary and kind of weird. Uh, I don't even know what God is trying to say to me. Um, Maybe you're the person who has studied Revelation quite a bit, and you're pumped that we're actually going to talk about it. All of those thoughts are really fair and real and welcome here. Um, So... uh, Let's see. So remember um, that last ghost from the Christmas Carol and how it scared me? That was its purpose, right? Um, And if you have read some of Revelation, it might have scared you, and maybe a little bit on purpose, but really the idea is it's a warning. It's a warning to God's people. And um, I think that there is a larger purpose that God had for giving us this book, and I hope that we can maybe figure out what that might be for you today. So I keep talking about a story, um, and let's understand that a little bit. The reason I'm calling it a story is because um, different stories in the Bible or different books in the Bible are sent to us for different understandings, different reasons that we might know more of God. And so each book of the Bible has a different genre, Genre is just a fancy French French word that helps us to understand a style or a category, um, a kind of something. And so um, it's kind of like if you went to the library and you were looking around at the different kind of shelving. You might see children's fiction or young adult literature. There's nonfiction section. That's, That's kind of the same idea here as genre. Um, The way that the Bible is a little bit different, it has lots of different genres, but they all come together to communicate one story from God to us. So um, I think it's helpful to know what the genre is before we dive in, because it helps us to know what kind of questions would even make sense to ask of this book. So one of the genres of the book of Revelation is an epistle, and Andy talked about this last week. An epistle is a letter to a real person. So that's the style that an epistle is. Um, It's also a prophetic genre, and prophetic literature in the Bible is generally written to a people who are in rebellion from God, and God is calling them back to him. So um, sometimes it answers questions like, who is God? Or what does he even want from us? And then lastly, the book of Revelation is also an apocalyptic genre. Um, And Andy did go into this a little bit last week. Apocalyptic, say that a lot, um, apocalyptic genre is given to expose something that was formerly hidden. So it's like 
pulling back the veil and seeing the secret behind it. Apocalyptic genre gives us a revelation or a revealing of truth so that we can understand. That's really um, the point. And generally, apocalyptic literature uses lots of symbolic language. Um, and it's written to people in times of conflict. So um, if you think about conflict, we can remember from last week, Andy told us all about the people who were living in conflict in the seven churches that this letter is written to. And if you haven't listened to Andy's message last week, I would really encourage you because he really set a foundation that I'm just going to build upon today. Um, so this symbolic literature, many theologians agree that um, Revelation is just dripping with this symbolic language, even so much as every verse has symbols that point back to the Old Testament, um, which could be kind of a fun thing to go through and try to connect the dots to. Um, so I, I really want to dig in to the book, but before I do, I'll just give this last disclaimer. There's no way that I can go into every little bit of what someone might think this symbol stands for today. I have 15 minutes. And so this is really going to be just an overview of the trumpets. And, and really, being fair, we don't know. There's not a right or wrong answer to what these different symbols and creatures and pictures all are telling us from God. Um, that's part of what we get to do when we read the Bible is try to understand that more. So I'm going to pray, um, and Lord, I just invite you, be with me, be with us, give us your eyes to understand, to, as you reveal that truth, we want to hear and we want to see what you have for us, and when it might be scary or weird, help us to stay with it, help us not to flee to our comfort, but to listen to what you have. Okay, so trumpets. I said we're going to talk about the trumpets. So what even is a trumpet? Well, um, if you look at the beginning of the book of Revelation, God actually tells us that the trumpet stands for judgment or God's voice. And so if you would turn to Revelation 1, 10, and this is John speaking, and he is recounting the voice of God that he heard. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. In Revelation 4.1, and again, this is John's voice, and he is telling us what he has heard God say. The first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So the trumpets are God's voice or judgment. And did you catch that? He wants us to know. He wants us to understand what he's saying to us. It's that revealing of something that was hidden and really giving us God's vision to understand what he's saying. So let's look at the five trumpets. And you're going to want to put on your like creative picture painting cap as we go forward. Um, also, I am going to be moving around a little bit in Scripture, and that's really not to leave anything out. It's just so that we can get 
kind of a whole picture of what the seven trumpets say together to us. Later this week, you're going to read through these in the reading plan, and I would just encourage you, go slowly and really try to understand what each verse is saying to you. So Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled at the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. This concept of thirds is all over Revelation. And for me, when I hear thirds, it makes me think of the Trinity, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. And in this setting, we could think that a third of things being burned up is kind of a symbol reminding us of Jesus on the cross, that he was burned up or destroyed for a time. And he did that to take the punishment or God's judgment for us so that we can be reconciled to God. Um, it's that temporarily being destroyed to create a pathway for us to get to God and that new heaven and the new earth that we'll hear about later in Revelation. So, um, as, and that's just a possibility. Again, these are all just possibilities, um, things we can look at and try to think, God, what would you have to say about that through this picture? So as we listen on, something that's interesting is each trumpet takes something that's whole, kind of like our trinity, and disrupts it, at least for a time being. So Revelation 8, this is verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Revelation 8.10 goes on to say, The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water, and the name of the star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. So something that's really interesting, um, Wormwood is actually a plant that grows in Israel because it really likes this sandy, rocky desert ground. And it's bitter tasting. If you would eat any part of the plant, it would taste very bitter to you. But it's actually a really helpful plant. It's used, it was used in medicine to treat lots of different digestive issues, even so much as killing intestinal worms. So for the people of this time, this was a really helpful plant, and it was very bitter. And have you ever heard the saying, that was a bitter pill to swallow? So today, people might say, that was a bitter pill to swallow, referring to a truth that people don't want to face, but one that can't be avoided. And I think it's possible that this scripture might be the roots of that saying, because it makes sense to me, as we read forward, this, this scripture, this truth, is a little bit hard to swallow, but it is truth. So going back to Revelation 8:12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck 
a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Revelation 9, this is 1 through 3. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key to the shaft of the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft of the abyss, and smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened, and so that the smoke fr- uh, from, that, from that smoke from the shaft. Then locusts came out of the smoke on the earth, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the earth. This is pretty intense stuff, right? So at this point, uh, hail, fire, and blood have all fallen to the earth. Then a flaming rock the size of a mountain exploded into the sea. Next, this blazing meteor falls out of the sky, and then darkness. And then the earth breaks open, and molten lava and smoke rise up. And don't forget about those locusts who are crawling all over everything, eating our crops, and stinging us like scorpions, right? And this is just the first five trumpets. (laughs) Yeah. So it goes on to depict this scene where people are tormented. And in Revelation 9, 6, in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. We can notice how these first five trumpets can be seen as images that closely depict the plagues that we find back at the beginning of Exodus. So these are specifically plagues that are on the created or our natural world. And remember that the people who received this letter would have been really familiar with Exodus. But in case you're not, let's recap it a little bit. So Pharaoh, he's the king of Egypt, and he is sinning against God, and he is keeping God's people, that's the Israelites, captive as slaves. He's building his own kingdom, and he is very much making an idol of himself. He's forcing the people in Egypt to worship him. And Pharaoh resisted God's judgment um, of his sin, and God brought these plagues of hail blood, poison water, darkness, and locusts. Sound a little bit familiar? Um, God also sent Moses, a prophet, to Pharaoh to call him to repent or to turn back to God. Um, Does that sound like anyone that we might be reading about, John the prophet? To me, it makes a little bit of sense. But let's go back to Revelation and and see what else happens. So this is Revelation 9, 13 through 15. The sixth angel blew his trumpet from the four horns of the golden altar, that is God. I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels were prepared for the hour, day, month, and year, and they were released to kill a third of the human race. A third of the human race, dead. This, again, actually can remind us of that Exodus story and the plague that 
brought the death to the firstborn of anyone not covered by God's sacrifice. As hard as it might be to hear, only a third of the population, not all. This isn't the same as Noah and the flood where almost everyone was killed because of the way that they were behaving, hurting themselves and each other, choosing to worship idols and things that were not God. In some Jewish traditions, two-thirds of humanity would die from different judgments and striking a tenth or a third or two-thirds meant that the majority still had a chance to repent. A third shows in wrath, God actually does remember mercy. A third is a large part of something, but it's not the majority. The majority of earth remained and was shown mercy. The majority was given a chance to become right with God. The majority still had a chance to repent. But sadly, as we read on, this actually didn't happen. They didn't learn from the story of Pharaoh. They didn't see God's mercy. They didn't accept his grace. And like Pharaoh, Revelation 9, and this is 20 through 21, goes on to say, The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons. And idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, And they didn't repent of their murders, of their sorceries, their sexual immoralities, or their theft. God is really clear here about what he's upset about. People are choosing to worship things that are not God. People are choosing to act in ways that hurt themselves and others. And let's remember this genre because it could be easy to excuse this part away as this, like, symbolic graphic story, and then you can think back about those first few chapters of Revelation and think, oh, that's just the letter, Um, that's the epistle. And my mind generally does like to sit in those comfortable categories of black or white, either or thinking, Um, and we could maybe be a little more comfortable with this scripture if we think these trumpets are just retelling that Exodus story. And this letter doesn't actually have any bearing on my present right now or my future. However, God isn't bound to our comfort. He's a both-and storyteller. He's a God who remembers. He's a God present with us now, and he has plans for our future. Like himself, his word is also all of those things. It was meant for the original hearers, just like it is for us today, right now. And it does tell us about our future. And this full revelation was sent in a letter to those churches in Asia Minor. And it is apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature, remember, it's a call to repent and a message of hope, both and. It's a call to change and a reason to even want to change. So let's see where that final trumpet leads us. This is Revelation 11, and we are going to read 15 through 19. 
The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's good. (laughs) The 24 elders who were seated before God on their thrones fell face down and worshiped, saying, We give thanks, Lord God, the Almighty, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, that's us, And to those who fear your name, both small and great, the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. And then the temple of God was opened, in heaven was opened. The temple was opened. This is the beginning of that new heaven and that new earth that we talk about when all things will be made right and everything will be new again. This is one of those messages of hope that this apocalyptic story promises us. And if we remember that movie or that video last week from the Bible Project, it talked about how seven is an important number to the Bible. We can look back at Genesis and remember that the earth was created in seven days, complete and good. And so this seventh trumpet can signify the completion of God's judgment and what comes next. good. So God wants us in that new heaven and earth. And later chapters of Revelation will go on to tell us what heaven is going to be like. And seriously, can I encourage you? Read it. Keep reading. It's for you. God wants us to be with him in that new heaven and earth. And I started Revelation in one saying that the trumpets are God's voice or judgment and he wants to show us what's going to happen. He wants us to know because he wants us to turn back. He wants us to be with him in this new heaven and this new earth where there isn't any pain or death or conflict. Conflict? Anybody know anyone in this room who might be living in some conflict? Well, you may have heard my husband, John, not the prophet John we're reading, John Bright, uh, speak here before, and he's alluded to the fact that our marriage hasn't always been rainbows and butterflies. Um, And I can remember a stretch of our marriage that was just hard and full of hurt and conflict. And after a couple of years of this, years of this, God spoke to me, and he called me to repent. He, um, it's not really a practice that I was familiar with, but I did know what he was asking me to do. He asked me to get on my knees and go room to room in my house and repent. And remember, I wasn't a kid who grew up in religion, so this idea of getting on my knees for God was humbling and foreign, to be honest. Um, And you might say, oh, that sounds super holy, Aaron. But I promise you, if you knew my heart at that point, I was more like 
a stubborn child who really didn't want to apologize for something because she really didn't feel like she had done something wrong. You might have heard one of these apologies before. The, um, I'm sorry your feelings were hurt. Or, (laughs) I'm sorry that I hurt you because you hurt me first. Yeah, those are always good. But... In God's mercy and in this process of repentance that he called me to, and thankfully I have a lot of rooms in my house, uh, it turned into, I'm sorry that I had hate in my heart for you, John, God's son, who he loves. And... I'm sorry that I had been so proud and prioritized myself over and my desires over our family. And I'm sorry that I cared more about what others thought than my husband. Guys, repentance is hard. There's a reason people don't flock to it and just naturally run to repentance. And it isn't a one-time thing. It's not like I did that thing a few years ago and now I never have to do it again. It's this ongoing conversation that we have with God. But I do know that God was pleased with my obedience in that moment. And I know that it changed me in a big way and that impacted our marriage in a great way. It's actually really freeing and peace-bringing to repent of something. It relieves something that you're holding. It lets God's mercy cover over that hurt and that conflict. And what if we could actually live this out as God's kids, you know what I mean? Like, what if we actually got good? What if we were people whose natural impulse was to turn and repent? Then maybe we have something to offer this world that's facing these trumpets. In God's mercy and love, he invites us back to him every time. And he invites us to call others to join us as well. That's the going to the missing. But How can we be people who invite others to God if we don't really even know the path ourselves? if it's not something that we're actually familiar with doing ourselves? So we have the opportunity this morning to practice. We've talked about that. This is our practice. And we can practice turning. And that's really all that repentance is. It's turning away from the wrong that we're doing or have done and turning back to God and his ways. Unfortunately, many of the people of this story didn't repent. Um, Many of them chose to go their own way, and much like Pharaoh, there are consequences. The more familiar we become with repentance or the turning back to God, the easier and more natural it will be, and that really is God's point here. It's not the negative consequences, but the invitation to turn back to him the opportunity and the desire that he has for us to be with him in that new heaven. 
I'll close with a quote from a professor that I studied a lot in preparation for today. His name is Shane Woods. He's a PhD and a professor of New Testament studies. And he says, the book of Revelation's target is bigger than prediction. The book of Revelation's target is you. So we're going to be taking our offering in a few minutes. But before we do... Grab those connect cards that Andy talked about. I'm going to have some next steps for us to consider. The first one is accept Jesus for the first time. If that's even something you're considering, I'm really excited for you. And anyone here would like to talk with you more about that. Our second next step is going to be a prayer of repentance. And I'm actually going to come back to that and we're going to walk through it a little bit together. The third next step is receive prayer. There will be prayer teams at the back and at the front. And I would really encourage you, go to them. The hardest part is getting up out of your seat. They're gentle and they're kind and they're going to meet you right where you are. No judgment. I think sometimes we have to try something new to get a different result. And sometimes we actually just have to keep trying. And that's frustrating but real. Our fourth next step is the memory verse, and it's a really good one, guys. Revelation 21, 5 says, the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Ushers, go ahead and come up and take up our offering. And don't forget to include these Connect cards because they really are a way that we offer something back to God as well. So I'll go back to that second step. Um, And I'd like to walk us through a practice of repentance. Um, I think it's for our church because this letter was written to churches. So sometimes we do things privately like I did, but sometimes we do it together. And that's what I hope you'll join me in this morning. I believe that one of those messages that the trumpets are trying to convey is a call to repentance or just coming back to God. I think that was for the church of John's time, but I think it's also exactly for our church today, right now. And if you look at spiritual revivals in the history of the church, they start with repentance. And our personal revivals start there as well. So you can actually practice repentance if you've been a follower of God for 50 years, or if you're not even sure what you believe yet, All are invited to this practice. I I know that we honor God even in our small steps. And when I said we are going to walk through a prayer of repentance, some of you knew right away what God was inviting you to turn from or repent of. Maybe it's the way that you treat a neighbor or a friend a coworker. Maybe it's the way that you talk to your children or your siblings or a parent. Maybe it's a judgment that you're holding on to 
that's really God's to hold? Maybe it's something that you lied or cheated about. Remember when I was talking about Scrooge and his self-sufficient, powerful, successful, worldly ways? Maybe you kind of relate to that and don't totally see it as a bad thing. It's tricky, that self-reliance. I'm raising my hand here. It's tricky, that self-reliance and that pride. And maybe that's what God's inviting you to repent of today. Some of you might not know where to start. That's okay, too. Just start. Sometimes it takes a while to get to what the real meat of it is, and that's okay. This is an ongoing process. This isn't just a one-time step that we're going to do, and then you're not going to do again. It's an ongoing conversation with God. So I'm actually going to settle on my knees as we do this, because for me, it helps me to physically move my body. It changes something in my brain. Um, But sit stand, kneel, however you're comfortable, you're invited to join me. But before you decide, I'm not moving. Or, okay, Aaron, I'll play along with you, but I'm not actually going to do anything. Just take a moment and ask God, what would he like you to do? It might not be what, at all what I'm asking you to do. He knows. So I'm going to talk out loud to God in a way that I found helpful. And I'm really just going to take accountability and to confess and to apologize because that's really what repentance is. When I'm done, I'm going to take communion and I invite you to do that in your time when you're ready for it. The worship team is going to continue our morning together. I'm so thankful that you're right there waiting for us as we turn. That you don't leave us, that you don't carry the kind of judgment that I've carried about my friends and my neighbors and the people that I love. Lord, I confess that I built my life this week that I spent time focusing on building my kingdom here in this world. But my desire is to see more of what you have. I can't do it alone. Would you take all the hurt, all the anger, the pain. Lord, I don't want to carry it. Lord, I love you and I'm sorry. And you are so good.
help me to be that image bearer that you created me to be.